How's it going, everyone? I hope you are currently getting ready to go out for an epic day out there. Hopefully, you're just making your coffee, looking at some maps, planning out a route for the day, staring out the window, looking at what the weather's doing, checking the weather app 15 times to just get ready for a big one. Or maybe you're loading up the truck to get ready for an early start the next day. Uh, regardless, or maybe you're out there right now on an epic one and you're totally cracked and out of food. It's pouring rain or snowing or cold or hot or your phone. Well, if your phone's dead, you're not listening to this, but uh, you're at, at your last limits. Music isn't working anymore. Coffee's not working anymore. And you just want to listen to someone else's voice and some other stories to help you get through and get back home or back to the trailhead. <laughs> Regardless, I hope uh, this episode helps you with either of those things. I'm currently here in the barn here in Austria, as you can tell from the incredible acoustics. It's my rest day. I had a big one out on the bike yesterday, so coach said no biking today. So uh, there's maybe going to be a, my chores for today or splitting some more firewood. I got the fire going beside me right now. And uh, there's a really cool mountain lake that I've been looking at on maps for a while now that uh, maybe I'll go make a little mission to try to hike up to that. There's a gondola that goes up to it, but with the whole coronavirus lockdown, it's not running right now. So the only way to get up there is to earn it and hike the trail up to it. So that might be on my to-do list for today because that's been on the bucket list for a while. Anyways, this is an episode I'm really excited to bring you. I had a fantastic time doing it. The guest is Will Barta. I'm assuming most of you know who that is. Will and I are the same age. Will is an American. He is racing on the CCC World Tour team. And uh, he's just such a well-spoken and humble guy. He's such a pleasure to interview. Uh, just very well-spoken, very humble, very reserved. And he's actually good friends with uh, Ian Boswell, who was a previous guest on this show. And Ian was sort of a mentor for Will. Will and I first started, uh, well, I guess we first met when we were sharing podiums together. Uh, when we were both racing as juniors, we stood on some podiums together. Uh, he was racing for Team USA. I was racing for Team Canada as juniors. Uh, man, so uh, what do we go over in this podcast? We talk about so many different things. We talk about, uh, so he typically lives in, Will is actually from Boise, Idaho, but he doesn't actually live there much anymore. He uh, spends most of his time in Nice in France, and so we talk about how he got out of there last minute and quickly threw a suitcase together and got home before the world kind of locked down or as the world was locking down. But he also spends a lot of time in Norway, and uh, I've been to Norway. I raced the world championships there in Bergen several years ago for Team Canada, and I absolutely loved Norway. It's such a beautiful country. The people and the culture there is so amazing towards sport. It's a beautiful country, but the thing I remember the most is they must have the most beautiful women anywhere in the world. I mean, everybody there is blonde and a 10 there. It was pretty funny. Uh, my teammate at the time uh, that was there at the World Championships with me, we were the two under 23s that were selected was Alec Cowan. And we were, we were saying how it was most likely the injury we were going to get at the end of this trip would be whiplash. Anyways, Will is also an active cross-country skier. 
and uh, going, he spends his winters in Norway cross-country skiing. So we talk a bunch about that. Will came through the, the dream pipeline uh, for any cyclist coming out of North America. He was part of the Action team, which is the best development team in the world. He also started really young and had a great development program at a, a local level. And he had this incredible pipeline to feed him into the world tour, which is amazing. And he talks about those opportunities, but he also broke his leg before a world tour team had actually signed him. He had all kinds of interest from tons of teams all wanting to sign him. Then he broke his leg and almost all those offers went away because they weren't sure how well he'd be able to come back. So he talks about that. He talks about doing his first grand tour. I wanted to know more of the science behind this. What was your preparation like? How did you prepare? Was it off training in the mountains like Rocky in Rocky Four when he's training for Ivan Drago and just prepping and hyping yourself up? In fact, it wasn't that. He got told a week before he was doing it and his preparation for that was a broken collarbone. We also talk about TT Tech. Will loves the time trial and so we go into a whole bunch of specifics there. We talk about the scene, the North American racing scene and can you still make it through uh, racing in North America with so many races going away. Adrian Costa, that's if you know the name, that's an incredible story and Will happen to be really good friends with Adrian. So we talk about him a bunch there. If you don't, it's uh, I think you'll be interested in Adrian after hearing some of this. And we also talk about some fun stuff like quick meals and like uh, what are some of the little hacks you do as a cyclist. And when I mean quick meals, I mean, as cyclists, we qualify a lot in the same category as the lazy, poor college kid and the bachelor meals where you come home from a training ride, you're starving, you're cracked and don't have the energy to cook really good food. You just want something quick. But unlike just having ramen or KD as most college kids would, we need something a little more nutritious, a little more filling. So we go through some of our hack ideas there. Anyways, this is a great episode. I was really excited to do this one, and I had so much fun talking to Will about this. There's so much more in there, so I'll leave it at that, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, buddy. So where are you right now? I'm in Boise, uh, Idaho, where I'm from. Oh, my okay. parents' house. Yeah. How long have you been back there for? Uh, I came back on March 21st, so I guess almost two months now. So, yeah, it's actually gone by quite quickly. Okay. So, and Europe, uh, Nice is home for you in Europe, right? Nice. Yeah, Nice and uh, sometime in Norway also. Okay, right. Because your girlfriend's from Norway, right? Yeah, exactly. So. And how did you guys end up meeting? <laughs> uh, she was uh, an exchange student in my high school. And so she actually also, uh, lucky for me, she lived with... Uh, um, one of my teammates on my junior cycling club. Um, so she would come to some of the bike cycling stuff and she actually joined the cycling club when she was an exchange student here and we had classes together and everything. Oh, so you guys met in the States? Yeah, in the States. So, yeah. Oh, dude, you won the lottery, eh? <laughs> yeah, worked out pretty well for me for sure. Hopefully for her too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cool, man. So you came home, I guess, right away when this whole lot um, happened. Yeah, so I spent one, one week in France when it was on, on lockdown still. And then um, I was really going back and forth on it. And um, then I lived with Matteo Jorgensen, who you know. And yeah. he he called me and he was like, yeah, pretty much I'm going home. I was actually still at an altitude camp uh, thinking 
that it was going to be a bit shorter, which now seems silly, but at the time it seemed like the right thing to do. But, um, and so then he said, I'm probably going home and I just didn't want to sit in my apartment for months alone. So <laughs> decided sure. to go home also. And is your girlfriend with you now or is she in Norway? No, she's in Norway. She's finishing her uh, master's degree. So, uh, yeah, she, ha- she had to stay there. And once it all closed down, I mean, it was uh, impossible for me to get there. So decided to come back to Boise. Sure. Was it hard to get back home at all? Uh, it wasn't actually so bad. I think uh, we did it really in a rush because we were afraid of, uh, afraid of, yeah, that it was really going to get even more closed. But uh, so I, I was yeah, at altitude a couple of uh, hours outside of Nice with uh, Larry Warbass and yeah, we were, we thought it would be okay. I mean, it was, I think if it had been kind of in the long run, it, it would have been okay, but, but it was also kind of like, okay, if, if we're going to go home, we need to go home. So it was like three o'clock on Saturday, I decided to go home and then I was leaving from Nice at 11 o'clock the next morning. So then I had to actually take a taxi back to Nice, pack all my stuff and go to the airport at 7am the next day. So it was really a quick decision. Sure. It's like quickly throw everything into a suitcase and go. Yeah. But you stayed in Austria. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of won the lottery, right? Like we haven't been locked down. Like I've just been living in like a barn up in the Austrian Alps. Like for me, it's paradise. I'm just getting to go. Yeah. Yeah, That's super cool. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm pretty stoked on this. I just, I have like maps up in the, the kitchen here of like all the big mountains and stuff. And I'm just dying for Switzerland to open up so I can go get in the Swiss Alps, but that'll be really cool. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. But, uh, yeah. Oh, nice. How is it? How's, has your life changed much in, uh, the U S now? Cause I mean, like we kind of, I mean, aside from not having racing or have you ever been yeah. there? Yeah. I mean, as a cyclist, it doesn't change much at all. I mean, just to be honest, the main place I go is to the grocery store if I'm not training. Exactly. Um, so I haven't, I mean, obviously it, you know, when I'm, when I'm in Boise, usually then it's when I, because it's like the off season or a downtime. So I do a bit more, but yeah, I mean, it hasn't changed much. I can still go outside. I mean, probably the, uh, the biggest thing is just, you know, you can't stop on rides and that's actually been a bit hard just because you're so dehydrated. I mean, now you can, but by, but before I was just coming home and just sitting there drinking water for like an hour. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, no, I mean, to be honest, I think for us as cyclists, it hasn't changed so much. Like I can see, um, like my stepfather, he's working from home right now. And I think I, I see that he's going a bit stir crazy, but I mean, for us, I mean, as a cyclist, especially you go out and you still see things every day. So yeah, exactly. You get your stimul, you get your stimulation, and then you know you do what you always do. You sit on the sofa at night. So migrate yeah. from the couch to the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's uh, yeah. I don't think it's been too different. I mean, for me at the beginning, especially the the motivation wasn't super high to train just because, yeah, it was you know, was there going to be races? Is there not? And I mean, it, it's still a bit like that. But I think it was, you know, for me. Now that I've settled into it, it's been much easier to train again hard. Sure. Okay. So, and then, so, all right. So talking about stopping mid ride, you're on an epic ride and you, you got to get home. You have like three hours left to get home. You're totally cracked. Yeah. You're stopping. What are you getting? What's your save me <laughs> back to life fountain of youth? Usually I would say, uh, a Coke, um, and, uh, some sort of uh, pastry. Sometimes when it's a really long ride, a sandwich, okay. usually. But uh, 
yeah, usually, I don't know. Actually, a lot of the time I don't even have Coke because sometimes I don't like the feeling of the caffeine. So usually it's like a Fanta or Orangina or something. And then you don't like the sort of feeling of caffeine. Uh, it depends how long of a ride. If it's a really long ride, I don't, I don't like the feeling because uh, I just feel pretty, pretty good for a while. <laughs> I push maybe too hard and then I really feel empty. So. <laughs> okay. So, you need to time the blow yeah. up when you get home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's the last hour, it's fine. But yeah, okay. Not so much in the middle. So, so with the the whole lockdown, have you come up with any new habits or things? That, like, have you taken advantage of any new opportunities? Of this, like, it's kind of it is a once in a lifetime opportunity. This situation, uh, however, it has changed your life. Have, has anything changed for you? Have you got any new habits or anything like that? Uh, to be honest, I wouldn't say too many. Um, uh, yeah, really not too much at all. Uh, sorry, I was distracted. They're doing uh, uh, Air Force flyby right now for the medical workers here. So it was just outside my window. So sorry, I'm a bit distracted. Uh, oh, yeah, good. so no, not not too much has changed for me. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just been maybe doing things a bit more uh, at home, like, you know, just the gym and stuff doing instead of going to the gym, you know, doing different body weight exercises but i mean that's not a really a radical change so I, I to be honest it's not been uh too many changes sure okay and then how did you get into cycling is your family active uh my family's active uh, no one's a cyclist though so uh so when i was younger um i played uh baseball and i was a uh, nordic ski racing a lot nice um you still yeah ski? so yeah i still ski uh in the winter when i can um I wish I could do more, but uh, yeah, not, not a ton. I mean, Nice, there's, I mean, you have to drive quite a bit to ski, and then I mainly do it when I'm in Norway in the winter, um, only on skate skis. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that was, you know, when I was younger, I really, I actually really didn't like doing it. I didn't really want to ski race or anything, and I thought it was too slow and boring, but then now I, I really like it now. Uh, but yeah, so I was ski racing, playing baseball, and then the ski shop that sponsored the ski team also yeah it was a cycling store and they sponsored the junior cycling club and we have a really great junior cycling club in Boise called birds Uh, um so i joined that when i was 11 um and yeah so i did that all the way until i joined action when i was under 23 i was on just on my club and um yeah it was great because the club part of it has 150 to 200 kids and then the racing team has when I was doing it, it was about 30 kids. I think it's pretty similar today. This and we had a really, yeah, sorry. The cycling birds has that many. Yeah. So That's when true. I was doing it, yeah, it's really big and they do a really good job of, you know, any level, any, any level of interest you have, they really accommodate it. I mean, there's some kids that maybe they go once a month mountain biking with, you know, for an hour. And then there's, you know, there was those of us that were doing, you know, five or six days a week, you know, really training, really racing, riding all year. And so I think it's really a great club. And uh, yeah, I mean, Matteo Jorgensen, who I live with now and is on Movistar, he was in the club. I mean, we met when he was, I think, eight or nine and I was 10 or 11. So oh, cool. yes, yeah, so we've known each other for a long time. Then there was a few more really talented kids. And so we were all super competitive and motivated. So, I mean, every day you would go out and ride with your friends after school and yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's the best way to train and you really had a social and a physical like, uh, outlet with that. And yeah, I definitely wouldn't be bike racing without that club. 
Huh. Okay. So I, one thing you said there is with your introduction to cross country skiing is you found it like slow and boring. Were you like a down, did you downhill ski as well? Yeah. I downhill skied as well. Um, so I really much preferred downhill skiing when I was younger. I mean, to be honest, I still probably do. I just haven't been, you know, five or six years now, but yeah, for me, I used to, when I was younger, I'd probably ski downhill also like 60, 70 days a year. Uh, so yeah pretty much just skiing all the time so um yeah so at that time you know downhill i think when you're 10 11 12 is maybe a bit more fun because yeah you don't you just take the lift up ski down have fun with your friends and yeah i mean i think nordic skiing it's also it's such a explosive and yeah physical sport that when you're 10 or 11 you can i mean you can get the basics but it's you don't i mean it's really a hard sport and maybe it's not quite i mean it's still nice but it's not quite like the time to really be competitive with it and yeah sure well that's what i was just thinking is like my so i grew up playing hockey and snowboarding mm-hmm. like i didn't know how to yeah. down ski and then i never had like proper lessons cross-country skiing like i just watched some youtube videos snuck on yeah. the trails and taught myself how to do it and just dug craters in the trails with my face for like the first yeah but like yeah. my impression and like how I explain cross country skiing to people is like when you suck at it, like when you're just learning, you're either going like full gas and your heart rate is like max just to move yeah, exactly. or you're not moving. Yeah. And then if you don't know how to downhill ski as well, when you're going downhill, it's that you'd think that'd be like your rest part, but your heels aren't clipped in. You don't have edges. And so it's just as yeah. much of a rush. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, it's it's really it's a tough sport and the technique is so important and i mean i think for those of us who are quite okay at cycling is you can kind of get through it just with some brute force yeah but uh yeah it's it's really about technique and like i you know and i go ski with all the with all the cyclists when i was younger like on birds we would go every weekend also started skiing together and then you know i had super good technique but now when i'm in norway and i him there i feel like like i'm just a brute because they all look uh, much more smooth and they go quite a bit quicker on the flats than i do i have to say sure yeah and like they're i mean that is the superpower nation of cross-country skiing yeah exactly. trails and places to go everywhere is it like what yes. is you skiing like there is it like cycling yeah. in belgium uh yeah i mean it's i would say it's probably the biggest news when you watch the sport uh the biggest sport when you watch the news but it's really the one thing that's been really interesting to me is you know i think especially i don't know so much in europe but in in the u.s and probably canada too as a cyclist you're always taught oh you should skate ski not classic ski so i always have for the i mean i haven't classic ski in probably five years six years and um but there you know it's like the golf courses and some areas like that are groomed for skate skiing but it's predominantly classic skiing so most of the time when i skate ski is just on a golf course um so you're doing just like uh i don't know two or three k loop over and over so it's kind of different that way for me because yeah i mean here everything's room for skate skiing Uh, i think it's almost the most popular more popular than classic now in the u.s so that was a bit of an adjustment to me (laughs) interesting and so where do you spend your winters then usually i'm pretty much always in these in the winter um Okay. Because, so uh, yeah, just for the, tra- I'm not, I'm not as tough as you. <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, I mean, 
I do like to ride when it's cold. I still do ride when it's cold, but you know, first of all, I don't have a, a good bike for it. Um, I need to get like a gravel bike, you know, with some that's, the, tires that's because, the thing. you need a bad bike for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I like being a niece and I think it's really good training, but at the same time, I, obviously I like to spend time with my girlfriend. So it's a bit of a balance. Um, like I'll go there for Christmas usually. So I don't need to travel back to the U S um, and then I'll, you know, do three weeks in Nice and then go up there for, you know, a little bit and then go back to Nice or to a training camp with the team. And then, yeah, it just depends a bit on the racing and the training. Like if I, I mean, for sure the, the training is a bit better in Nice just because you have all these hour long climbs, but you know, I think in cycling, it's so important to show up to the races like mentally fresh that, you know, when it's a big block of racing, I like to be there in between, uh, because it's a, you know, a bike is five hours a day. There's a lot of time left in the day. And so I like to be with my girlfriend and also like her family is super supportive. So it's almost like having a second family there that I get to spend time. with. Awesome. Where in Norway? Yeah. Uh, outside of Oslo. She lives at my girlfriend and uh, has an apartment in Oslo, but her parents live just outside of Oslo. Okay, cool. So, and, yeah. so when would you, do you spend any time in Boise anymore? Uh, the last years it's, it's only been, uh, due to unfortunate circumstances, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. So two years ago I broke my leg. Yeah. Um, so I was back in Boise for a long time with that. And then last year also I had to have some more surgeries on my leg. So I was back in Boise for that. And then, uh, um, yeah, now, uh, I'd like, I mean, I, this year I didn't see this coming. So, I mean, I had planned some times to come back to Boise, like, uh, for Christmas next year things like that. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's always been with something. And I mean, I really like being in Boise. It's just, uh, yeah, obviously it's not always easy as you know, with all the traveling in Europe. And also when I have free time, it's nice to be with my girlfriend and, uh, yeah. So not too much time in Boise these days cool. other than these periods. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess like the kind of a big question I wanted to ask you it's just the whole process you made of going from action, which is, you know, they got to be the best team in the world for getting guys to the world through like the best under 23 mm -hmm. team in the world, going from yeah. that pipeline up to BM, BMC or CCC at the time. What was it? actually? Yeah, it was a, yeah, they just signed the, the deal with CCC and had been announced. And then pretty much like a, a day after that I signed. So, okay. So CCC. that whole process of jumping up to there, you broke your leg mm -hmm. kind of right in the middle of that process and like, yeah. you broke your leg. It, like you were on a roll, but it wasn't, you hadn't signed anything yet. What was that whole process like and how did breaking your leg fit into that? Yeah. So yeah. So 20, 2017 and 28, I mean, I'd say, so when I joined action, uh, yeah, I came from a, I had quite a successful junior year the year before. So when I first started, I was really confident and, uh, you know, and then I went to action and yeah, it was a super team. I think, yeah, it's the best team in the world if you want to go pro. And I think uh, you also just get a lot of personal growth on that team because, you know, you're traveling a lot, you're having to look after yourself. And I think um, like they do a really good job, Axel and Coase and Jeff and at the time Reed um, and Eric um, and all the supporting staff, they, uh, they, uh, yeah, they're there for you, but they also, they're not like your mom, you know? And I think it's, uh, 
important thing to let you have your own growth. And I think they do a really good job of that. But the first years on action, I would say I was almost, I had so many good teammates that I was almost a bit intimidated. And it was really easy for me to revert to just doing what anything for them. And then, you know, um, kind of saying, okay, I did help them, you know, that's important. And I think, yeah, it was, it's a super important skill to learn how to work for your teammates. And I'm really glad I did it. But at the same time, I think I could have stuck up for my own results a bit at that time. But then I would say in 2017, I kind of shifted more towards thinking about myself because I realized, yeah, you can be the best, you know, worker you can be your teammates, but it's hard to go to the world tour for that. And I want to be in the world tour. And uh, so then 2017, yeah, results started coming and there started to be some interests. And then like 2018, yeah, I was, a, I was quite a good year um, until, yeah, in the baby Giro, I, on the last stage, I uh, crashed with maybe less than 10K to go and I broke my femur. So yeah, I went from having, talking to a lot of teams to pretty much nothing uh, with that. And it sounds a bit harsh, I think, when you hear that, but I also understand it. And yeah, in the end, you're an investment for the team and that's a big question mark. So um, yeah, so I, I was in Italy kind of thinking, you know, maybe my cycling career is not, not over because after the initial days that I could see, I mean, at first I thought maybe if like I really won't ever be racing a bike, but then when I came to be that it would work out okay, um, I... Yeah, I thought, okay, I'll probably, you know, I was lucky I had a two-year deal with Action, so I thought I'll do another year on Action. Hopefully, it'll be good again. Um, but luckily for me, yeah, CCC, pretty much as soon as um, they signed with CCC as the title sponsor, uh, they said, oh, do you want to sign a contract? And I said, yeah, of course, <laughs> because <laughs> it's uh, a great team and it was a great opportunity. So, but it was really, it was a big transition that I think, um it was a lot harder with the fact that I broke my leg and I missed the season, half the season leading up to it. And then also just the effects of the leg break in general. Um, so last year was yeah my first year pro and training it all had come back pretty well. I'd say, I mean, I'd still say my threshold was probably 30, 30 Watts less, which is actually a good amount when I think about it now, but at the time I felt like I was really coming back. Um, but the hardest part was punch, like punchy stuff. Um, because even like so in wait, August. Hold on for a sec. When yeah. you're talking about when you're coming back, this is at the end of the season now? This was at, uh, this was in 2018, like starting to ride again, 2019 early season, like kind of getting back into it. So wait, what month um, did you break your leg in again? In June of 2018. So I actually was able to ride in August, which was much quicker than I thought. But I mean, it was at like 100 watts. Okay. Trainer. Um, so, but but it, June you it break your leg, and then yeah. August you're riding, and then when are you starting yeah. to come back and start uh, racing and stuff again? Racing started the next February. I started again racing. Okay, so you didn't uh, race any more that year. I didn't race any more that year. I, I had been talking with another World Tour team, and they really wanted me to race in uh, 2018 to, in order to sign me. So I was really at first. Before I signed with CCC, I was really pushing to get back, um, and yeah, it was that was a stressful period for me because, you know, at, you really can't do more than what your body will do at that point. But as a cyclist, I think we're so used to, you know, being stubborn and thinking we'll be able to do do these things, even if maybe it's not the most uh, conducive thing in the long term. But 
yeah, so at the time I was pushing quite hard in 2018. Also, yeah, obviously physical therapy and the whole time in physical therapy, like I, it's a really weird sensation to describe, but it felt like whenever I'd put weight on my right leg, which is the leg I broke, it felt like it just wasn't like in the joint, which was a weird sensation. And at first, after a long time, I thought it was just that I was missing so much strength because yeah, I mean, when I finally walked again, my leg was tiny. And so it was, so, but you know, I talked to them, kept going through stuff and seemed okay. The strength was coming back. So then I was really picking up on riding again and training and, yeah, it all seemed pretty good. And, um, yeah, so then, so then the training was going yeah quite well. Like I said, I probably, I mean, I wasn't where I was in 2018, but I thought, yeah, you know, I'll be able to do my job. I'll be able to, to race. And, you know, I think it will just get better through the year because I it missed a lot of racing, missed a lot of training. Um, and yeah, the, so then 2019 season started with CCC. The first races, I was obviously quite nervous because, yeah, I mean, it had been a long time since I'd raced, and I almost felt like a different person at that point because it had been so long. Um, but the first races went okay. Um, no, not nothing super, um, but it was okay. And then, uh, yeah, I did some big races like Paris-Nice, Tour de Romandie, and then I broke my collarbone in California. So that was a bit of a, yeah, that was a bummer. And so then I took some easy time and I actually felt much, much better coming back from that collarbone break actually than any time in the season. I think just having that refresher because even when I broke my leg, I was just so stressed about getting back. And this time with the collarbone, it was like, I mean, you could ride the trainer, but it wasn't, you know, an intensive PT process, anything like that. So I, I finally felt like I kind of relaxed a bit. And I'd say that was when I had the best, uh, of the year was that whole summer um and i was really really lucky that uh ccc or not so lucky but i mean they had a reason for taking me but i was really happy that i got to do the vuelta because that was a big goal of mine was to do a grand tour and uh yeah it was it went it was a real experience for me to do that and i think i learned a lot of how to manage myself over three weeks and also just to see kind of what your body can do um but, yeah, well, I, yeah. I want to get into that in a second, but just going back to 2018. So you're having yeah. a rock star season, start of 2018. Yeah. Or uh, you don't have to name the teams, but so pro teams, world tour, pro Conti, whatever. How many teams are talking yeah. at this point? Uh, I'd say like four or five. Okay. So a ton of interest. That's a, a lot. So a whole yeah. bunch of teams are talking to you and then you break your leg and mm-hmm. a bunch of let's, so let's say if there's four teams, uh, two of them stop talking to you completely, and one of them says, uh, "Okay, maybe, but we want to have you what stagiaire and race later in the year with us." Uh, I wasn't going to stagiaire because actually, because action was pro continental that year, so oh, you weren't right, able right. to stagiaire. Which, okay. um, but uh, yeah, they basically said, like, you know, we need to see that you can come back healthy from this because it's a complicated uh, thing to come back from a broken femur, and so. They wanted me to. They they wanted me to just finish a race in 2018, which that's brutal. That's a terrible. Yeah, that's shitty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I also see it from their perspective, you know, because they want to see if you can walk and everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, I totally, I I see all these teams. You know, it it seems really harsh from the outside. I think, but 
I also, I totally get it, you know? Yeah. Huh. Okay. And then, so, so would that have been like the lowest moment in your career, I guess? Or is um, that been another point that's just been pretty? No, I would say, you know, it, it was probably the lowest moment. Um, you know, actually the year before also in the baby tour, I'd been going quite well. And then I got a really bad stomach bug. So I had to leave in an ambulance that year from the baby tour. So I think actually, because just leaving the race was probably the lowest thing in my, my cycling career. Not so much the struggling with finding a team necessarily because yeah, there was a time, there was a double day on the last day and there was a time trial. And I, yeah, I, I have to be honest, I've, never quite felt so certain I would win a race as I did that time trial. So that was probably actually to me, the biggest disappointment was just leaving that race. Um, because yeah, I felt like, uh, it was yours to win. Yeah. And not the GC. I was too, I was a little, I had messed up a few things on the GC. So I was a bit too far, but the time trial, I thought, Oh, I'll crush this. And so, yeah, so that was, that was the, I would say just leaving the race was actually the biggest disappointment for me um, because I, I, I knew no matter what I would have action the next year. And um, so, yeah. Huh. Did you ever think like uh, maybe cycling isn't for me anymore? Did you ever think about like, uh, maybe I'll try something different. Do you have any ideas for things you'd want to do after cycling or if there was, yeah, ever for sure. Here? I mean, I think, uh, uh, I think I would go back to school probably. And, uh, you know, I actually, I, I'm, I'm not that far into it, but I've started an economics degree slowly. Uh, so I'd probably do something with that. I'm not totally sure what, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think it will cycling no matter what would obviously always be part of my life. Like whether that's just watching and going on weekend rides, but I like it too much to just totally leave it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think everyone has those moments where you think maybe this isn't for me when things aren't going so well. And it's, uh, it's really easy to get those moments, but, uh, because it's a hard sport, but in the end, especially like right now, again, you realize how much you love it and how much you can't wait to start racing again. Sure. And did you ever come up with, like, did it ever get to the point where you were considering it so much that you actually came up with specifically what you were going to do as like a plan B? No, uh, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would first, I would finish my, uh, my college degree. Um, and then, uh, see, <laughs> it's a bit hard to know, uh, because for so long I've been so focused on cycling being the career. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the reason I ask is just cause that was like the conundrum I went through last mm -hmm. year and deciding if I wanted to go through with it. And I got to the point where I was like, okay, if, if, uh, I can't race in Europe next year, I would rather like walk away from, I'll always ride my bike. Yeah. But I'd rather walk away from racing and try to go after like cross country skiing and see how far yeah. I can do that rather than try to race yeah. in America. Cause like to me, yeah, like, yeah. North America is just like, you're never in the biggest pond. Like why, why are you wasting your time making all these sacrifices? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, Play in the minor leagues. So, yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, I, I, I would probably, you know, I think I would have enough faith in myself to, you know, if I went back racing in the U.S., I'd probably do it for a year, maybe two, uh, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong. I think it's great to race in the U.S. I think it's, you know, there's lots of good races. I mean, there's not as many as there used to be, but there's still a 
you know, great opportunity. You look at someone like James Pitcherly, and yeah, he's made it to a good level doing that, and I think it's really impressive. And I mean, that's someone you read about having some hard times figuring out if he wanted to keep racing or not. And yeah, in the sure. end, yeah, he decided he wanted to do it, and he's really made a yeah name for himself doing it. And I think it's really impressive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think um, for me, I I, I could I, long term, I'd like to be at the highest level, but obviously, you know, everyone has unforeseen circumstances, and you have to adjust for that. And yeah, I really like cycling, um, but yeah, also there's a lot more to life, and if I I think there's a lot of cool things to do as well. So, I mean, it's just uh, seeing what what the opportunities present themselves, I think. Sure. And then so going back now, you're talking about, so you got to do your first Grand Tour last year. You got to do the Vuelta. Yeah. That's super cool. And that was mm -hmm. like just watching it. That was a, a super hard race, just even watching yeah. it crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what was your preparation like going into the Vuelta? How did you prepare for that? Is there anything you did differently? Um, or any not, not, not too much, to be honest. Um, I spent most of the summer in Norway. Uh, so, uh, because actually, so I didn't know I was doing the Vuelta. I mean, there was some talk I was the reserve, but I didn't find out I was doing the Vuelta until probably about a week before the Vuelta. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things you, you know, it, it's in your head, you know, when you're 15, you expect, you know, this lead up of, you know, knowing for months you're doing it. And <laughs> yeah, I'd say as a Neo Pro in most teams, you have these, you know, it's all, it's all reshuffling all the time. And I mean, you're just grateful for the opportunity to do it. So it was no big deal, but it was, you know, it's not necessarily like I should say, okay, I'm going to do this. It's that lead up. So after I broke my collarbone, I raced uh, a one day in Belgium in June, late June. Then I did tour of Austria, which was a really nice race. And then I uh, did Plaza Tristan Sebastian and then the Lopsa. So it wasn't actually that many race days leading into it. So I think it was also good because I was not so like a, I mean, I wasn't razor sharp, I would say, but I wasn't coming into it in really a huge state of fatigue already trying to be super sharp. Sure. Yeah, no, that actually sounds like a really good prep, getting to do Tour of Austria and San Sebastian before it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, really it's, nice. it's funny you say that because when I was talking to Ian, we kind of started talking about the same thing where like when you're on the outside, you kind of dream of these perfect lead-ups to these races. And so like what Ian and I were talking about is the fact that like the diet, for example, like when you're doing like these absolutely insanely hard races that no one's ever yeah. heard of in the middle of yeah. France somewhere, but the night before you're eating like overcooked pasta and undercooked chicken or tins of yeah. tuna at like 1130 mm -hmm. at night in the parking lot in like the camping. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a nightmare yeah. situation versus when you're on the outside and, or like people that are doing like a grand fondo or even like a weekend mountain bike race are getting like massage yeah. and all this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah it's a, it's it's uh you know especially i think that when you're in, on a like a continental team in europe you don't realize uh like how much of a i wouldn't say the word grind but it's not what you imagine when you you know you imagine you're eating these good meals and staying in these nice hotels and it's <laughs> no really a bit nitty-gritty isn't it um yeah but i i have to say it when i think of like, I mean, on CCC, I have to be honest, they take really good care of us, even at the small races. We always have chefs, you know, things like that. So luckily for us, it's it's not too much like that. But when I, you know, staying in some of those, you know, not so nice hotels and eating those meals, I have to say those are like my favorite memories from cycling because it's, 
it's such an experience, you know? Oh, for sure. Like going to like some ridiculous race with your buddies, it's freezing cold and you're like getting changed, like homeless people in the parking lot after and yeah, exactly. driving to the next, yeah. it's super fun. Yeah. So I, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, Is there anything yeah. you learned after like about your body and like the, uh, your physiology and, uh, I guess how you would prepare for your next grand tour, like after doing one, is there anything that like stood um, out as far as like, this was just way harder, or way different, or I didn't expect this or that. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so for me last year, I, um, yeah, kind of a complication from breaking my leg is I had actually a, a bone infection all year. So my body wasn't quite uh, reacting the way I think it would now. Um, so I never was able to go like totally, totally deep. And so it was almost like, you know, cruising, not cruising, but I was, uh, yeah, I never went to never go like into a summit finish. And I was just too fried by the time I got there to really go deep into the red. So yeah, it's hard to say that like, because I think this year, if I was to do a grand tour, I'm not necessarily saying I would be up there on a summit finish, but, I'd be much more part of the race. And so it's much more different, I think, to, to race when you're the one doing the accelerations and all that and kind of, you know, helping set your teammates up a bit. I can't even say, I mean, I was, yeah, it was a bit different, but I would say the biggest thing I learned was just to really to take it day by day. I mean, your body is pretty amazing what it can do and how much it can recover. And especially as someone like me, I'm not going to be, you know, maybe someday if I, everything goes well, I'll be racing for, you know, top tens and GCs and those. But, but at this point, you know, it's better to take it day by day and you might have some bad days, but you'll be able to get through it. And then, you know, on the good days, you really have to, to embrace it. Sure. And then, so what kind of rider do you want to become? Grand tour rider, week long stage race? Uh, I think, yeah, I think week long stage races is kind of where, uh, I would be suited. Um, yeah, time trials go quite well for me, so um, that all that really helps, especially when it's you know you have five to seven stages and it's one or two of the stages that's time trialing it. It's a big advantage, and then yeah, I'm 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 I mean I'm a good climber, but I'm not really an explosive guy, so I think just uh, it's more of a conserving on those types of climbs because I have to go my pace kind of. Um, so I think like week long stage races is probably the best place I could uh, be. I mean, I'm also really, I didn't, I enjoy helping my teammates. So I also think just being really good at that job would be a super uh, nice way to make a career. Sure. And then, so doing like, so you have had quite a lot of success with the time trial and uh, yeah. like what have been some of the, and it's such a unique discipline, like everything from yeah. aerodynamics, the training is totally different. The speed, there's just so much that's different about it. What have been mm -hmm. like kind of the, the big, uh, like the magic bullets for you and getting better on the TT bike, whether it's, you know, doing, uh, some wind tunnel testing or like aero testing or specific type of training, maybe getting behind the scooter or getting on the yeah. trainer, or is there anything that you've noticed that's made a really big difference in your ability to time? Uh, I would, it's, it's a really interesting question. Um, you know, I think part of, part of what's made me good is just, the way my I'm built both like uh, how, how uh, like physiologically, like my muscles, you know, I'm pretty slow twitch, which 
and sometimes it's really annoying, but in time traveling, it's, it's quite good. And then I'm also just really a small, narrow guy, and that helps me quite a bit. Um, but I would say as far as like things that I've done to improve is I've done both uh, track testing and wind tunnel testing um, when I was on action. And I, I found that really um, beneficial, uh, especially I have to say the track testing because it's a bit uh, more realistic, I feel. Is you can go in the wind tunnel and you can sit in this position, but you have to be able to transfer that to be, you know, riding that threshold and keeping that position and being able to see where you go and everything. So, yeah, I, I would say that the track testing I found especially beneficial. Um, I didn't change a whole lot. I think it's, you, you can do a lot yourself. I mean, you can really just even you don't even have to change your position of your bike, but just how you sit on your bike and how you hold yourself on a flat road, you can just see kind of the change in the speed and the effort um, and what feels good. And so I actually, the only thing I've ever changed is the width of my handlebars um, from doing all this testing and how I hold myself. So it's not been radical changes. Um, but, and then also, yeah, I do think that obviously the training and the, the, the TT bike is really, uh, it's important, but, for me, I also, I, I don't like to spend just, I like to do the efforts on the TT bike, but, you know, I don't feel a need to do long rides on the TT bike or even unless I haven't been riding my TT bike really at all. I don't even really like to do recovery days on the TT bike, TT bike, because I think it's a bit beneficial to keep the TT bike in your head as something that you're used to go fast. So if you do, you know, endurance rides or, uh, easy rides on it too much I think you start to it just starts to become like I don't know not like mentally comfortable such a weapon and <laughs> okay. yeah so I like to think of it as a bike just for going quick okay cool yeah that's that's yeah. a good way to think about it I guess I yeah. I absolutely agree with you on the track testing thing like I did I got to do that last year as well and I think I gained something mm -hmm. like 45 or 50 watts from doing it which I guess oh wow that's my a lot. position must have just been like horrendous before <laughs> And I thought it was yeah. fine. And like they, yeah, yeah. but the weird thing was they brought up my position. Like my handlebars got yeah. like five centimeters taller, but it was just yeah. like a matter of like bringing your head down and you're like, yeah, you're yeah. like lots faster. And then actually getting exactly. on the bike, you're like, yeah, actually I feel this exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's also, it's just interesting to me too. Also how it really is such a individual thing because I remember yeah, when I was probably, you know, this first, you know, really getting into cycling when I was, you know, 13, 14, you know, you'd see these pictures of, I don't know, Conchalara and stuff and everything was so slammed, you know, and you thought, okay, that's the way to go fast. And um, now you see everyone has these different positions. And like for me, for instance, when I tried to go up or I tried to make the ski bends higher, it was actually quite a bit slower. So uh, yeah, it's really interesting how individual it is. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of, one of the cool things about it is you're really just working with what you have and making the best of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the example that I think of hearing you say that is everyone kind of has like this praying mantis position right now with like your head yeah. down super low and your hands up by your exactly. face. And that seems to be like the fastest one. But then you look at the photo of what Kenshalara had in the 2016 Olympics and he's like yeah. straight up in the air and you're like, how the hell did he go so yeah. win? with this like he must have just yeah, yeah. pulled like 600 watts <laughs> yeah yeah i mean if you're good you're good in the end too just like yeah. everything sure so and then so uh 
Why did you choose to move to Nice when you went to Europe? Uh, so I chose Nice, you know, initially, you know, Girona, like everyone, I'm sure listening to this podcast knows it's the, really the place to be as, especially as a, an Anglo type person. And uh, so I really was tempted to go there, but the first time I really spent like a, a time living in Europe kind of was, uh, it was with a friend of mine and teammate who, uh, Adrian Costa. So he's, uh, he's, uh, yeah, French, uh, his, his parents are French. So and he'd been to Nice and he really liked Nice. And, you know, I, I, I just, I'd heard of Nice, but I didn't really think anything of it. Um, and I really, I, to be, I really was like, Oh no, I want to go to Girona. I want to go to Girona. That's where everyone is. It's cheaper. It's, you know, and, so, but, you know, he convinced me to go to Nice. So, um, went to Nice, uh, and yeah, I have to say, I think the riding is just incredible. Um, and it's also, it's, there's a, a nice city life if you want to go out to eat or, you know, go to a movie or, you know, that stuff. And also it's just really, it's, uh, it's right next to Monaco. So it's a lot of tourists. So it's, it's quite international. So yeah, my French is really uh, not very good. So it's really quite easy to live there, not speaking much French. And um, also it's a good airport. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of reasons, but I mean, to me, the, the biggest reason is I think the, the riding is probably it's to me, it's the best place in the world to, at least for training, because you also have the good weather. I mean, maybe you could say the Alps or something is maybe even better, but for riding, but you have, you know, all year you can ride in the mountains and that's really nice. Cool. And then you also, you lived with Ian, right? For Yeah. I lived with Ian for two, two years. So he was so, an incredible uh, mentor. Yeah, it was really nice to live with him. Um, actually, when I lived with Adrian, we lived in the, uh, it was like a, a villa type house and it was divided uh, kind of like a duplex. And so Adrian and I lived below first. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a house where a lot of cyclists have lived. So yeah, so then after I lived with Adrian, I lived um, more down in like the center of Nice with, uh, for a year with a, a Norwegian friend of mine. Um, and that was also really nice, but then he wanted to move back to Norway. So I moved in with Ian and yeah, it was really nice because Ian's just a super uh, down to earth. And, um, I think he likes taking on the role of kind of being a mentor a lot. So that was really nice because yeah, he's been at the highest levels and, you know, been around a lot of really talented guys. So you get a lot of knowledge passed on to you. And also, like I would say, I'm a bit more of a stress type person than Ian. So he's really uh, calm. And I found that really beneficial to live with someone like that and kind of see how they approach things. Sure. And so what is the biggest thing that you learned from Ian? Uh, I mean, I would really say it's just staying calm in all of it. Um, and that things will work out. You know, he had quite a experience last year with his head injury. And, you know, I think for a lot of people it would have been, and I'm sure he was stressed, but he took it all quite calmly and, you know, he really made a good situation for himself even then. And I think that not, I mean, this is a lesson that is good for cycling is to stay calm, obviously, but it's also just a bigger uh, life lesson is just having faith in yourself and knowing that things will work out. Okay, cool. And so, I mean, uh, you and Ian are both incredibly well-spoken and very humble people. Oh, but one thing, <laughs> but uh, like one thing Ian said in, I can't remember what podcast I heard this in. I'm sure, actually, this was probably, I think I probably heard this in the Cycling Tips podcast that you yeah. and were also on. And he was, you know, explaining how 
you know, you're the type of guy that would, if the training plan said five hours, you'd do five hours. Even if it's pouring rain out, you just do it on the trainer or something like that. And you're very focused, <laughs> super hard like that. And that's awesome. And I'm wondering, is there, what would be like an example of like some story of the, what's the most ridiculous thing that you've done to try to get faster? Like the hardest, like the, an example that just shows how hard you worked for this and like just the most ridiculous uh, thing you came up with to try to get faster. I don't know because you know, when you're the one doing it, it all seems normal, but, uh, <laughs> um, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, probably just, I mean, I'm not as tough as you riding in the snow and stuff. Probably just some really like really getting it done in some bad weather. I would say. Is there like a specific day that comes to mind? There is this time where it, it snowed actually in Nice, which is quite amazing because you know, you're on the Mediterranean yeah. and yeah. So I went out and did like five hours and I just remember Ian like taking this picture when I was out, he's riding the trainer, you know, and it was like, you couldn't even see five feet from your house. <laughs> I was <laughs> stupid enough to be out there. Um, yeah, that was probably, that'd probably be one. Also, yeah, just some of the trainer stuff. I think growing up, I always rode the trainer and it's harder now for me to ride the trainer than it was then. But I think once, when you're used to it, it really doesn't seem as bad as it does to people who aren't used to riding the trainer. So I think maybe it seemed, yeah, it did seem a bit extreme maybe, but I also, for me, like the thing I find most enjoyable with cycling is the process of training um, and getting better and applying that to the races. So for me, that's, yeah, I, I, I don't mind just doing the following things to the T. Sure. The yeah. You like the process. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And then, so you're uh, really close with Adrian Costa and I actually, ne mm -hmm. I don't, I never met him. I never knew him personally, but we have like, yeah. have like a ton of, mutual friends with them and I guess you actually know him really really well mm -hmm. and then so he the I guess and the other person I don't know is Brandon McNulty and he's yeah. like another one where I don't know him personally but I have like a lot of friends with them and the way it was kind of explained to me like the two of them were kind of like these huge names coming up at the same time because they're similar in age and it was always explained to me that like Adrian just worked super freak hard and uh, was obviously talented as well, but he, I mean, he wasn't so much talented, it was his unbelievable work ethic. Whereas yeah. Brandon was a little bit like he just, he didn't study racing as much. He had, he maybe had a, he obviously worked really hard. And uh, like another friend, like Tyler Stites has told me crazy stories of what they're doing for training to, for Doha and stuff like that. But he had a little bit more talent on that side. Is there any kind of story? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, so I, I don't, I don't know. I can't really comment on Brandon because I don't know him very well. But with Adrian, yeah, I mean, he, he, yeah, he's probably the hardest worker with cycling that I've ever seen. Um, you know, but I also think that also is a, it's a talent um, in its own right being able to do that because if if I was were to do what he did at that age. I would be on, on the couch, you know, most people's bodies just can't handle that no matter how strong their mind is. Sure. So, um, yeah, he, I think he had a huge, uh, capacity and yeah, I mean, everything was about cycling and I think that's also, I mean, I don't want to put words in Adrian's mouth, but I think that was also kind of what made it, um, a bit difficult when he was, had some setbacks with it and, uh, was that that was, you know, that was everything. Sure. But it was, 
it was really, I mean, especially living with him, you saw everything was for cycling. Um, and so, Do you have any examples of it? Like, it's super impressive. Like, just some of the stories that I've heard, it's unbelievably impressive what he did. Is there anything that you can think of? Oh, I mean, just, you know, it was every single day. It was, you know, ride five, six hours, come back, uh, you know, stretch, uh, eat, talk to his coach, practice whatever language he was trying to learn. And uh, then, he, I mean, he was just sleeping. I mean, it sounds like a lot of cyclists, but it was just taken to uh, another degree. And, um, yeah, it was – it was really impressive to see um, him do that. Uh, but it was also, yeah, I think, you know, now he's, he's just a, someone that pours himself into whatever he's doing now. He's really into mountaineering and he's super into it and really pouring himself into it. So I think it has a type of personality and it, it serves you really well in cycling to have a personality like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I love following his social media feed now because, he, yeah, he's in a mountaineering and obviously had a terrible accident yeah. where he lost his leg. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. so inspiring. It's so cool to see him out climbing and stuff and, like, properly climbing with yeah, a, yeah, yeah. an amputee. That's, like, really cool. Yeah, no, it's really impressive he's doing it. And, yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys. He has, you know, there's never an excuse. He's just going to do what he wants to do. And it's really cool to see him bounce back from the, the yeah that terrible accident he had to – continue to get to do what he loves sure yeah and so i guess going back to cycling in your situation right now is ccc just announced that they're not gonna sponsor the team next year right is that Mm, yeah Uh, i mean that's what i've read yeah okay and has anything been said to you guys personally about like what the situation is yeah we've had some communication uh, within the team for sure it's uh yeah i mean it's not a great situation, but, uh, I mean, we're lucky cycling is a business because it lets us have a nice life racing as professionals. And I mean, in this time, every business is struggling. So yeah, it's not a great thing, but it's, uh, yeah, we're still lucky to have had the opportunity and we'll see what happens. Okay. Have you thought about like what the future might look like for you at all? Yeah. I mean, I think like everyone right now, it's, you know, super uncertain. Um, We'll see, uh, you know, uh, I'd like to keep racing with CCC. Um, we'll just see what happens. Uh, if not, I mean, there's lots of teams. We'll see how many teams can survive this. Uh, I really hope, you know, it, it works out for everybody. But, you know, I mean, I think in everything right now, there's going to be companies that go away. So you just have to cross your fingers uh, that, uh, yeah, that it works out for as many teams as possible. But so hopefully uh, if uh, I'll be racing next year, um, uh, that's my hope. And so we'll just see. Okay. And then, so what's training look like for you right now? Do you think there's going to be racing this year? Like, do you think you'll be racing at the end of the year? Or are you in the boat? Like uh, personally, I don't think there will be any racing this year. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know, to be honest. Um, you know, because you know, for sure there's not going to be a, a vaccine. So there's no, you know, perfect answer for it going, coronavirus going away. But I think, uh, you know, it's also, yeah, it's like anything. There's a lot of money in cycling and whether it's for good or better or for worse. I mean, it is a business and they're going to try to get it open and going again. Um, I think it will change from what we're used to seeing. And I think even if people want there to be, you know, same thing on the climbs with lots of people that's just not a 
uh, yeah, I don't think that's a smart thing to do, or uh, I don't think the government authorities will allow that. So I think it will be kind of different. So, I mean, it, I think it will be really just for television. And to me, that's, you know, I think, uh, you know, you, you race a lot in the U.S. and Canada. So obviously, you know, I mean, we pretty much never race with the crowd anyway. So <laughs> it won't change that much for us. But uh, yeah, I imagine it will come back um, this year. I mean, I really hope so. And yeah for me i'm preparing like it is and uh yeah hoping hoping so okay so you still are you training like a madman right now or is the approach uh, uh maybe hold back a little because it's going to be crazy later or do you want to just are yeah. you training like a crazy person right now so you just come out like guns a blazing no so right right now it's uh not been too, i mean it's been kind of a maintenance i would say more than anything um i think if i if i had a two-year contract i'd be training like crazy because uh yeah you have the security of the next year as long as your team survives um but uh yeah i'm on the last year of my contract so i i think it's good to be you know come out guns a blazing when you're because it's not that long of a season but i think uh it's still a long way till then and so for me i think uh you know around 20 hours a week so it's nothing i mean it's it's not nothing but it's not crazy and it's you know, been uh, a bit, uh, yeah. So it's not like I'm doing 40, 20s every day or something like that. So, uh, yeah, it's been more of a maintenance. And then also with these uh, e-races, um, you know, it's, yeah, kind of, they're hard and you have to take them seriously if you want to do anything in them. So um, it's not like I do a huge ride going into those because I need to be a bit fresh just to get 20th place or something in an e-race, but <laughs> but uh losing to some yeah 40 kilo masters rider yeah <laughs> uh, it's been a, it's been impressive to see on these uh these e-races how fast uh i mean i've only really done the the pro ones um i did one one normal one a criterium and that was i think that was my only top 10 in, in e-racing was a criterium which doesn't happen in real life but uh yeah so uh how do you do a crit it, in e-racing what's the difference uh, they just riding a crit train city, crit, crit city on zwift there's a crit city. <laughs> yeah, there's crit city. I like, I was trying to, before all of the, so I did the Ruby tour of Swiss race and that was more like a time trial, but then we did tour for all, which was on Swift. What's so I was Ruby? trying to, Ruby's another platform. So Ruby, it's more like a, an actual video, um, not, not animated, but the characters animated. Um, okay. So it's another platform, but on this platform, there's no drafting. So it's kind of like doing a time trial essentially. Okay. Um, and then on Zwift, you know, you can draft. So before we did these Zwift races, I, I was... You can draft on Zwift. Yeah, you can draft on Zwift. So Zwift, I, I think, you know, there's no steering, but at least there's, you know, there's some tactics. Okay. It's not just all about power. So I think that's quite cool. Um, but yeah, Don't so I was trying have, to like, learn how to... like, light up bikes and stuff on it? Like, there's, like, you can... It's like Mario Kart? Yeah, I think it's like a Tron bike, and that's, like, the fastest bike. But luckily in our races, the pro races, you have to have all... The, it's all, like, even. Once are correct. Bikes. Yeah, but the the thing that was interesting is there's power ups and those are those are tough because you like press like one and it's a feather and you lose nine kilos or something and then you fly away from everyone. And that <laughs> so I it's think, like throwing turtle it, shells and banana peels. Yeah, exactly. So I think going forward <laughs> for the pro, at least for the pro races, I think that they should maybe take that stuff out because it's kind of you don't know what it's not like you can choose which one you did and oh, makes this it is crazy. Yeah, so it it was fun. I but. Yeah, I actually, you know, 
the time flew by doing it. I thought it, it felt like super quick. And I mean, I, like it wasn't like the best uh, 20 minute powers or the best five minute powers, but they were the best hour of power I've ever done and best 90 minutes of power I've ever done with some of these races. Okay. Well, that's so, going to be satisfying at least. Uh, but it just shows you, I mean, you're especially being on the trainer, you're really uh, pretty blown by the end. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, it's so funny because I was talking to Sepp and he was telling me about how he's been doing these e-races and he's saying how he did like his best 20 minute power ever to finish like 10 minutes behind. And he's just getting, he's like, man, I don't know where all these quick uh, e-racers are coming from, but I sure don't yeah. see them on the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's really incredible. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, but it's so funny. Yeah, it's cool though in some ways because I think it's encouraging a lot of people to ride and get out on the roads later than I think. Yeah, no, cycling's doing yeah. well, just maybe not pro racing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it was funny, like, uh, also a few days ago, I was riding here and, you know, it's, you know, riding and everything, CCC, and I passed these guys and they they asked me, we have this kind of uh, famous Strava, Strava guy here, is a Strava, it's called Racing Stripes. And he goes, oh, are you? And, you know, I, you know, maybe this is a bit funny of me, but I was always going to say, are you Will Bart? Are you on CCC? You know, and uh, he goes, are you Mr. Racing Stripes? And that's the Strava guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think it's such a funny thing that you can be, you know, a pro racing world tour and to these guys. And it's not, I think it's, it's awesome because it, it's more of a direct impact on their lives as Strava seeing these people that go fast up the climb. But it's just funny sure. to me, you can be a, uh, a pro you know doing the wealth and they care more if you're uh, someone from strava yeah it's just a total change from what you would imagine 10 years ago which uh, it's not good or bad it's just it shows you how much the sports changed i think and yeah. i haven't even been racing for that long so i mean i can't imagine if you've been a pro for 15 years what that feels like <laughs> that's crazy okay so yeah. how about um just some like some shorter fun questions here yeah. uh Where's the best, what's the best specific climb or route or place to ride? Is there any, like a specific road or something like that that you absolutely love that you could just never get tired of? Uh, I think that there's a top climb in these called Cold of Banquets. Uh, I'm sure I don't say it quite right, but it's, uh, it's one of the ways up to this, uh, Cold of Torini in these, um, but it's just all switchbacks and have great views of everything. And yeah, it's cool these roads in nice there because they don't get so much snow i would say they're you know they're even more like tight and turny than you know anywhere in the alps or anything and they're really pretty pretty crazy and just the fact that they're so old and they were built and you have these great views and yeah it's awesome okay what's the name of the climb again uh called the banquets okay and then uh so like out of all the create like the idea of like marginal gains of course everyone talks about that and there's all the crazy things that teams are coming up with like at a uh, grand tours it's like taking helicopters off of mountain stages and drinking mm -hmm. pineapple juice and cherry juice and the, the the massage tool that looks like a drill or something like that and the yeah. boots what's your favorite one or what's the craziest one that you've seen that the team has tried or like when i was talking to sep he was talking about ketones and he's like drinking diesel or I think he explained it as like the cheap shots at the bar. Is there anything that comes yeah. to mind in your mind? Yeah. Well, I mean, the ketones is crazy. I've actually never, I've never tried them. I mean, I, I haven't, but I haven't tried them. Um, but uh, I, my favorite is the, the massage gun just because it feels so nice. I don't know if it actually does anything really, but it just the feeling of it's so nice. I think that's my favorite at least. Which one do you have? 
Uh, I think they use, is it Theragun? It's the original one they use. Okay. And they kind of started this whole thing. Sure. Oh, but yeah. so here's my, do you, do you have one personally or does the team just use it on you? No, the team uses it on us. I, I don't have one. I think the thing I would invest in myself most would probably be Normatec. Okay. Cause my whole thought that, was like the Theragun, it probably, it looks like it would feel really good, but I feel like I would more, I'd need someone else to use it on me. Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think so. Because when, when you do that stuff on yourself, you're sitting, you're not lying down or something and your muscles are more tense. And the way they use it on our team is actually um, more as like a warm up almost before the massage. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. That's yeah. an interesting one. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you go out for like a six hour training ride or just like some epic ride, or maybe it's shorter, but you come home and you're just absolutely smashed. There's whatever yeah. you want in the fridge, but what is like your go-to meal for, I need something that's like healthy and good and filling, but takes like very little effort to make. What's, what's Ooh. the go-to? Uh, um, when I'm at home, usually what it is, is actually just some eggs and I like buy the frozen hash browns actually just because they're so quick uh when you're done training and i think they're quite easily digestible and yeah i think that's quite good after training uh how do you make and just just uh you know in the frying pan with olive oil just like eggs and potatoes yeah eggs and potatoes like uh, grated potatoes yeah do you cook them before you go riding or no no when i get home it only takes like 10 minutes um, okay can I give you so, one, like the, like I figured it going with the potatoes, like you're making me think here, yeah. you know, when you go to the, the grocery stores, you can get like those instant soup mixes that come in like the, the little packages where it's yeah. like little powder. So like I've been doing is uh, you just use that, like you mix that with just like potatoes and like carrots, like you can just stick oh, nice. and carrots and like slow cooker or even just do yeah. it in like a pot right away. And you just yeah. add like that as flavoring to it. And it's like literally yeah. like, add some like sweet potatoes, carrots, whatever you want, beans, corn, anything like that. And just like throw it all in. And it tastes like yeah. super good. Yeah, that's really, that's a smart idea. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why, but I always uh, shy away from the rice cookers and uh, things like that. Crock pots, but it's, uh, I think it's the best way because it's ready when it's, you get home. Yeah. Why, why would you shy away from it then? I think it's great. That's like the. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I do. It's uh, okay. It's just a weird thing that I I don't know. I just haven't embraced. It. I think it's it's not a. There's not a reason. It's just maybe laziness. Even though it's an easy thing to do. <laughs> I don't know. How about anything unique that you travel with? Uh, travel so much to races. Let me think. Not too much. Uh, not too into coffee or anything. Uh, so I would say. Yeah, the main thing I would say maybe that not everyone travels with is I like the resistance bands, you know, for doing some exercises. Uh, what kind of exercise? A lot of, you know, a lot of glute activation, things like that, especially after I broke my leg. I have to do them more anyway. So, like the skate so really, hydrants? Yeah, exactly. Things like that, clamshells. Uh, also, you can do a lot of good, like, core exercises with them for your, you know. Um, okay. Yeah travel with that also like a rumble roller which is you know a foam roller but with the spikes yeah that's um, terrifying yeah i like those a lot uh but i would say oh also usually like a lacrosse ball to roll the glutes okay um, yeah i would say those are the, the the 
even they're not even that crazy for a cyclist but maybe those are the most unusual things i take when i'm uh racing usually a little dark chocolate but that's about it okay any unique souvenirs you've ever brought home from any of these cool places that you've been (laughs) uh actually so so uh when i was younger and i was a junior we did you know trofeo carlsberg it's a nation's cup and i I, uh, one and only time i won the sprint classification and uh i they gave me this giant thing of different uh like soaps and lotions and stuff (laughs) and i never touched it but (laughs) like five years later or whatever it is now six years later uh, that i've been home i've been using all the soaps so it's uh, come in handy (laughs) okay that's cool yeah is there any quotes that stuck that you've stuck with throughout your life? Anything that comes to mind? Any favorite quotes? Doesn't have to be a serious one. It could be a movie quote. Not too much. Um, no, yeah, I don't know. You know, when I was younger, I, I, I'd say I was more into the quotes. Um, I don't know why it's gone away, uh, but I, you know, so I used to be a big. I still am a baseball fan, but I don't play anymore. But I used to be. Yeah, so I, I'm a big Yankees fan and Derek Jeter and everything. So. I used to have all his quotes, you know, but I have to be honest, most of them have left, left my brain at this point. So, so uh, I just watched the Beastie Boys movie. That was pretty good. And how there was a good quote in there from uh, Adam Yelk. And it was like, it's, uh, I'd rather be a hypocrite than be the, the same person my whole life. And I thought that was a pretty good one. Okay, because that's I think cool. It's important to always uh, see that you can uh, change and see things differently through your life. But that's not really cycling specific or you know, competition specific. Okay, cool. Uh, how about like a favorite brand? Is there anything that comes to mind? Um, yeah, let me think. Well, I like Solomon a lot. Uh, okay, for what? For skiing, running? Ski, skiing, I just like, I mean, I like the, the presentation of the brand and i like uh yeah i like their their nordic skis a lot and sure um, also also it's uh yeah i just i think they're cool how they're kind of in so many different things yeah that's a great brand i love solomon stuff yeah yeah the shoes i have i like my the shoes i wear every day are a pair of Solomons, and i think they're like seven or eight yeah. years old they just keep yeah, yeah it's all really good quality like i mean i still i have a lot of their older skiing nordic skiing stuff still sure held up perfectly is there any sweet pieces? It doesn't have to be Solomon. Is there any like amazing pieces of gear, like the best purchases you've ever made? Like three items that you would absolutely buy again or recommend to someone else to buy? It could be like a handlebar bag, a pair of headphones, a chef's knife. Okay. Uh, I would say this is, uh, yeah, I think it's maybe sounds uh, maybe a bit, uh, what's the word? Not kind of yuppie, but uh, I really do like the AirPods, I have to say. Even no matter how they make you look, uh, I like the ease of ease of using them. Um, you and Mateo uh, are a perfect couple. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of uh, similarities in some ways. Um, what else? Uh, I like uh, if you're talking about bags. I really like Krieg. It's an Idaho company. K R I E G. They make uh, great. A R I E G. Krieg. Yeah, Krieg. Um, Colin Joyce actually worked for them when he was injured. I don't know if he still does. Is it like an um, outdoor brand? Yeah, they make uh, rock climbing bags and like saddle bags. Um, I had this, uh, just until this year, I had the same saddle bag since I was 11 until now, and it was perfect. So, okay. I mean, there's not many things you buy that take sit up, you know, does so much that lasts so long. Sure. Um, so, cool. uh, 
And where are they from? Uh, Pocatello in Idaho, so eastern Idaho. Okay, so nice. So local. not from where I am, but but uh, pretty close. Um, uh, what's another? Yeah, I mean, obviously uh, the easy one to say is a bike, but uh, I'll try to. I'm trying to think of something. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, not yeah. There's not too many uh, items that I'm like crazy, amazingly attached to, but uh, yeah. Okay. How about if you found 10 million bucks tomorrow, what would be a crazy luxury purchase? Uh, if I had $10 million, I'd probably uh, buy a, a nice house in Nice and a nice house in Oslo. <laughs> okay. And how about something irresponsible? Irresponsible? Well, like not a Ooh. good investment. <laughs> like uh, not- I really like like a nice uh, station wagon. So like, uh, oh come on, really like a golf? Okay. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Like, uh, I like uh, I like the the Mercedes wagons and the, like the RS six Audis a lot. Okay, so, all right, that, that's better. <laughs> uh, that's uh, I can't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, AirPod Pros. <laughs> okay cyclists are so efficient with everything that's hilarious yeah how about this if you had to give away a million dollars where would it go like an organization a sports club a person a business protecting some public land or a building a charity if you had to give away a million bucks what would you where would it go uh if it was just to one place i I think to be honest i would give it to uh birds the cycling club i grew up with um i mean it's Maybe it's a bit uh, of a narrow focus cycling, but I think it just has also such a positive impact on all these kids' lives. And uh, it's something I feel really connected to. And I feel like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be cycling, but I also wouldn't be the person I am today without birds. So. Okay. That's great. That's a good one. And so, okay. Last two questions. What's your favorite Euro English phrase? Like, you know, like full gas, oh. the one they use all the time, or we make a picture, we make a party, you know? It's, yeah. Is there any funny ones? Uh, let me think. That's a good question. I think, uh, you, get, you, kind of, you know, you probably started to notice you get more used to them over time, so you don't think about them so much. Oh, <laughs> uh, you found the good shape, huh? <laughs> it's not normal. Yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I just like, uh, yeah, what is it? yeah, I mean, they're all the best ones are Belgian, I think. Yeah, but, uh, I can't even think what they are right now, to be honest. Uh, I should know, but uh, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I also like just how, like, instead of worlds, they say the worlds, like it's the thing, the worlds, <laughs> or even go to the worlds. Yeah, I really like that. Okay. So. Is there, okay, so last question then. Is there anything that the Euros find weird about you that you do differently, like culturally or anything like that off the bike? Like they look at me like I'm a madman when I say I want to sleep with the windows <laughs> open or if like I, I'm yeah. in shorts when it's like 15 degrees out and they're in like winter parkas and I'm just like, yeah, I'm wearing yeah. a jersey. Is there anything yeah. weird about you? I mean, I think for it, the biggest thing, uh, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty quiet guy. Um, so you're very reserved might be, very humble yeah yeah it's a nice way to put it uh but uh yeah so i think you know i think that's probably the thing because you know it's uh i think most people in cycling are probably a bit louder than i am so i would say that might be one of them uh but uh maybe the window open sleeping but luckily 
you know, it's also changes a lot where in Europe they're from. And I've been lucky most of my roommates are doing with the window open. So <laughs> that's a good one. But yeah, I agree. Sometimes they'll end up sleeping with the window open and having it cold in the room. You like that as well? Yeah. Okay, cool. That's good. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So you are such like a nice guy. And like another, <laughs> the reason I ask this is, is, have you ever like lost your mind on somebody in a race? Because the, the one yeah. that comes to mind for me is like Jesse Anthony is, you know, he's also a very reserved, humble guy. And I just remember watching him just completely lose his mind on somebody in a race. And I just started dying laughing because I was just like, I yeah. guess he was just screaming so much. Have you ever just lost it? Like yeah. That? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have, but I'm sure if you ask enough people, you'll find someone that that's probably have seen that side. It's uh, I think all, all of us that are cyclists have uh, something inside that's a bit competitive and uh, sometimes when, yeah, when you're in that moment, you get into it a bit. Uh, uh, it's funny because it's yeah. all the all the bloods in your legs and not in your head. So it's like you're just yeah, like, yeah. fight with anybody. <laughs> but I think also like you know the farther into a stage race you get, the easier it is to to lose it because yeah. <laughs> you're tired. So so uh, yeah, for sure I've had those moments. Uh, yeah, and I mean when I look back on them, sometimes I'm not not necessarily embarrassed, but. I, I wish I hadn't said something, but I also think, you know, you have to be in a different m mode than I usually am to be a uh, competitive and racist. Sure. And I, everyone understands it's just water under the bridge after it's like, yeah, yeah. after the race, it's all forgotten. Huh. Yeah, okay. exactly. That was great. Will. thanks so much for that. Perfect. Yeah, no, thank you. I really appreciate it. So I hope you uh, enjoy the, the riding there and take care. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey buddy, if you ever want to come hang here, it's, it's yeah. It's a barn. It's not the the Ritz or anything like that, but it, yeah. there's plenty of space and the riding's sick. So. Are you in Tyrol or where? where? I'm in Vorlberg, so it's like the Vorlberg. very very west corner of Austria. Like you couldn't oh, okay. right on the border with Germany and Switzerland, and so like yeah, really nice. is pretty close by in Switzerland, and a bunch of the Bora guys all live here as well. Yeah. So okay. Sweet. sweet. I'm like right below Lake Constance. Lake Constance. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Forty minutes on the bike. Yeah, that's super nice area. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. But you're alone there now, I see. Yeah, yeah. Like your, your teammates went. Yeah. Yeah, I burned through one, so I'm waiting for him to come back. <laughs> he needs to come yeah. back. But, yeah, and then you're planning to come back at the end of the season? What well, should no be the idea. end of the season? Or? I mean, honestly, yeah. originally, before all this nonsense happened, my plan, my goal was at the end of the bike racing season before coming back to Canada, I wanted to try to do some high altitude mountaineering in the Himalayas. Oh yeah. Like, oh wow. Do some climbing there. That was like yeah. my little vacation at the end of the year before yeah. back to North America. But now who knows? I don't even know when I'm coming home at this point. So like yeah. messaging me back home, wanting to know if I want to hang out or something. Like, dude, I don't have a plan <laughs> yet. I have no idea when I'm coming home. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's good. We'll see. So Anyways, hey, if you ever make it back to so. Europe, who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> but uh, maybe I'll catch you on this side of the pond. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So, okay. Cool, buddy. All right. Perfect. Thank you. you so much. Yeah, great to talk. Cheers, buddy. Bye. See you. Bye. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed listening to Will. If you knew who Will was before, I hope you learned some new stories about him. And if you didn't, I hope you're now a fan of Will. If you're interested in following myself or hearing more about future podcasts and hearing that content before it gets published here, you can always follow me on Instagram at jackflash66 
or you can just go to my website, jackburkcycling.com. I guess this is the part where I'm supposed to ask you to share, rate, review, or even spend some money. Spend some of your money. Give some of your money to me for some reason. And I never understood this with other podcasts because they say, you know, if you give us some money, if you give us a donation, it's going to contribute to the podcast and it really helps it keep going. And I don't know, maybe they know something. Maybe I'm just not at that level yet, but I'm just having conversations with my buddies and it's, you can find free software online to record it. So I don't know where this money is going. So you certainly don't have to give me any money. And whether, I mean, if you want to share this, that's cool. Like I'm, if you got some buds that would be interested in these stories, you know, Hey, awesome. If you want to give me a review, that's cool too. But you certainly, I'm not going to ask you to do that because I'd rather you spend that time planning out your next trip or looking up some other cool podcasts to listen to. It doesn't have to be mine. I think there's a lot of cool stories out there that you should do. And regardless of if you share, give me money, I don't even have a way for you to give me money at this point. <laughs> Regardless of if you share or give me a one-star rating or a five-star rating, I'm probably not going to even know how to look at those reviews. And I'm still going to keep having these conversations with my buds because I just enjoy doing it. So don't worry about doing any of that. I hope you're having a sweet day out there. I hope you're getting close to home if you're on your mission way back. Uh, if you're not, and it's just going downhill from here, maybe try hitchhiking your way back and see if you picked up enough good karma to catch a free ride home somewhere. Uh, if you're planning the trip for tomorrow, I hope uh, I wish you all the best with that. And if you're just not in the mood for going out and about today and you kind of just want to lay on the couch all day, try having another cup of coffee and then maybe the idea muscle will start flowing and after a certain number of coffees, you're usually excited enough to go do it. And the trick to knowing when you've had enough is when you can thread a sewing machine when it's running. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed the show today, and I hope you'll check out some more future episodes. Cheers, everybody.